This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Hey girls, so I was reflecting on this podcast, which we started in March and could barely believe it when I realized we are heading into our eighth month of doing this podcast, which is just wild. Anyways, I took a moment to stop by our iTunes page and to read some of the reviews that people have left about the show. And it honestly made me feel so weepy. So I just wanted to start this episode off. I probably should have done this on like the six month anniversary or something like that. But you know, there's no time like the present. I just wanted to thank everyone who has taken a second to leave a review over on iTunes. It means so much to me. And I do read every single one of them. So thank you. Sometimes when you're doing this show, it's hard to know whether it's resonating or not with people. And it absolutely made my day. Today on the podcast, we are stepping behind the highlight reel of Miss Kate Horseman. Kate is a creative by nature. I mean, you have to go check out her social media pages to get a glimpse into her beautiful apartment that she's created over the years and her office and her style. And I mean, the career path that Kate has been on is just one filled with creativity and beauty. By trade, Kate is a registered holistic nutritionist and counselor based out of Vancouver, BC. Her expertise in nutrition, counseling, plant-based science, and mindfulness help her clients bridge the gap between mind and body. Kate has worked with companies including Aritzia, Lululemon, and Microsoft, and her work is praised far and wide. But I have to say, I think one of the most fascinating parts of her success story is the dark side she lived through in order to get to where she is today. We often see examples of people who have found their passion through their pain, and Kate is no exception. So I would love to start this conversation by welcoming you to the podcast, Kate. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your childhood and the start of your journey with food and your body. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm so happy to be here. You know, at the beginning stages of my life, I think what's poignant for me is that for varying reasons, I did not feel safe in my body. You know, I remember being a three-year-old in dance. I had a very interesting path and in, in career with dance altogether, ballet specifically. I was a very shy and uh, very sensitive child. And although I don't think we would ever have called it anxiety then, I was a very anxious child. You know, like we're seeing those infographics come up right now on Instagram. Like this is what anxiety actually feels like, or this is what it sounds like. And thinking back, I'm like, gosh, I was, you know, that four or five-year-old that had those same symptoms, but really no reference of, of what to do with it or how to express myself because for varying reasons, it didn't feel safe to, to use that voice or that expression. 
And so I figured out, as the mind is so very clever at doing, how to find a way to cope, right? How to find a way to deal with the discomfort that I was feeling. And I love referencing Gabor Mate in his work because he often says that people with addiction, he's grateful for their addictions because these are the mechanisms that the brain and the body employ to try and find safety. And I, I think this is so true for a lot of people struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders is that it gives them something, right? Some sense of safety or comfort. For everyone, it's a, a very different purpose, perhaps. But for me, it also served a great sense of control. And if I continue on sort of that, that lifeline, as I became more diligent with dance, as I became more capable and started getting more recognition, the less control I felt in my life. Okay. So I don't necessarily think that dance is the cause. There's been similar conversations about social media. Like I don't think social media is the cause necessarily for some of these behaviors or impacts, but I think it served as a Petri dish, right? Mm -hmm. So I think being put in that environment where there was a lot of expectations, obviously physical expectations, but even emotional and psychological that it became a very, very challenging place for, you'll hear sirens probably in the background. I'm in my office here in Vancouver. Hopefully that's not a distraction to everyone. But the sense of control was very much something that was necessary for me to feel safe. I had a lot of adults involved in my career. I wasn't going to school as much. So I was taken out of school so that I could do half day programs. I was in schools in Toronto and New York City. And so I be began living this very adult life and my own body really didn't feel like a safe place to be. It was a highly efficient place to be, but it wasn't a safe place to be. And I think that's sort of the invitation or the explosion towards what became a very destructive and painful journey into disordered eating. I would say that dance in some ways was a way out, right? So my eating disorder basically took on its own life, its own purpose, its own strength to equal in comparison to dance. And so it was much easier for me to navigate leaving behind something that was painful, dance, and step into the eating disorder just as powerfully. And so began a very long and lengthy battle with anorexia. So that's sort of the impetus of my journey into disordered eating. That was the beginning. And I'm curious to know, without you having to go into too much detail, just trying to respect your boundaries, when you say that at a young age, you weren't able to find comfort in your body, was it because of some traumatic event that happened or was it just that you were born into this body that already had some anxious patterns within it. I'm so fascinated by this because I do think that there's that nurture nature piece to all of us. And so, you know, without you having to share everything. No, no, I, I appreciate that. Do you think that this is just your nature or, or was there an experience that really triggered that discomfort in your body? I think it's both parts. And I really appreciate you highlighting that. So I think, you know, we're starting to now know that 
We're carrying, you know, the stories of not only our mothers, but our grandmothers and, and so on. So I believe that there is an aspect of my genetic predisposition that is going to move me in the direction of struggling with mood, anxiety, and even on my father's side too, not to leave him out of the picture. And isn't it interesting? So often we just refer to mothers and daughters with, with this work, but it's all uh, family systems, right? Mm -hmm. And there may not have been a specific traumatic incident. However, there was, there was trauma for certain. So one of the things that I highlighted that has been really evident in my work, my personal discovery work, is that as a child, my, my family was always ill. My mom has chronic heart failure, and you would never really guess it by looking at her, but I always had these experiences. Is mom going to be in the hospital? Is she sick? What's going on? And then my dad had a neurodegenerative brain disease. Right. And so I think being able to witness uh, the aging process and the decline of health, and it always seemed to happen out of the blue. So I think there's certain events that could have probably been handled differently, but they were quite traumatic where mom was fine one day and then the next day she was not. And so I think, again, there was this sort of perhaps like alarmist behavior in my body, which is like, am I going to die? Am I okay? I remember feeling obsessive compulsive tendencies like very, very early on before maybe even the eating disorder. And again, like it, it goes back to that sense of like control. And there was definitely arguing in the household and that wasn't necessarily a happy place for all individuals. So I'm not just saying for me specifically, but for my whole family. It sounds like there was so much going on. And as a young child, we don't have the tools yet to process that kind of thing. And so, like you said, this need for control started to pop up. And when you reflect back on what was going on in your childhood, of course you wanted control. Like you were desperate mm -hmm. to have some semblance of normalcy and control over yeah. the fate of your parents, who at that age, you know, you just... All you need is your parents and stability. <laughs> and so it's no surprise that some of these feelings that were popping up for you started to show up. So you've now moved on and you are living in this world of dance. You mentioned that you stopped dance and the eating disorder almost stepped in. Absolutely. So did you have to stop dance because you had an eating disorder, which is my story? Or yeah. had you decided that dance was no longer right for you and then that left you with this wide gaping hole? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as you were saying, I'm like, dance was for sure like the understudy, but it was like the understudy that it was just like waiting for you to be taken out. You know, like mm. it was always rehearsing in the background. So absolutely the eating disorder took the dance out. But again, like I actually am quite grateful for that. Like I think, again, it was a strategy. I wasn't happy with dance. However, you know, looking back, I reflect upon it. It was quite exceptional. You know, I was at the point where my career would have risen, right? And here was something that I was willing to give it all up for, right? It was that powerful. And so physically, I could not continue on. And that had to be a decision that the company made. And I was okay with it. I was okay with it. Mm. So at this point, you have the eating disorder and being very conscious that I don't want to trigger anybody who's struggling with this right now listening. What did that look like for you? How did the eating disorder show up in your life? Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, absolutely. I love that you're so mindful of that. Again, going back to these beautiful infographics that go around on Instagram, but you know how there's that healing process, that line, it's like, it's not linear. Like everyone thinks it's from like bottom to the top, but it's actually (laughs) just a a giant scribble. Yeah. You know that one? So, so, so mine was a giant scribble. And then I feel like I would have set fire to it, (laughs) you know, like I would have started again. So my healing process was unconventional, up and down, not linear, but anorexia was the name of my game, right? Mm. Um, And it absolutely, again, served the purpose of me feeling safe and without anxiety. And well, I shouldn't say without anxiety, it wants to make you believe that, but a sense of security, right? So controlling your food intake, counting calories, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely exercise and some purging behavior as well. Did you see your body as being large? Because you're not a large woman. Did you have any body dysmorphia with this? Or was it just about the food and the control? Absolutely. You did. Oh, interesting. Absolutely, I did. I think that's where the magnifying glass of, you know, being in dance and like seeing the mirror, I saw myself more in shapes instead of a body, which I've actually never said out loud. But it's like, yeah, like I don't see my body in the in the same capacity that I feel like some people do. So dysmorphia was definitely like a fuel to the fire in which perpetuated the restriction and the calories and the mm. and the overexercising and whatnot. And when you say that you saw your body in shapes, this is so interesting. Are you talking about geometric shapes or more like what we see in magazines so often, which is like a segment. Here's your hip. Here's your leg. Here's the upper shoulder. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like the objectification of different parts of the body. I feel like I should do some art around this because I actually think it's a bit of both. Like when you said it's parts of the body Mm -hmm. for sure, but they were also so almost Characterized. I don't even know if that's the right word. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Almost like an illustration that could not have been real, but was my my felt reality, which we know is just so important. Like it's our felt belief, right? Yes. So definitely dysmorphia played a big part throughout this whole journey. And maybe was one of the last parts of the puzzle for me. Yeah. So you have this eating disorder. The dance company has now said, sorry, this is out of control. You need to stop. And where do you go from there? Yeah. So eating disorder took center stage. And I was, as I mentioned, quite comfortable with this. And I think it's important to acknowledge that when these behaviors work until they don't work, they feel really important to the person. And sometimes that is the status quo until they're willing to maybe look at rewriting a different narrative or starting over. And so for many years, I would say, I was not comfortable in looking towards recovery. I definitely worked towards medical stabilization and went to treatment centers. And I think there was always like the pursuit of the possibility of recovery. But for many years, I did not accept recovery as something that was going to be an option for me. And I think that just goes towards saying how impactful and important those behaviors were at keeping me feeling okay. Mm-hmm. It was a really functional, elegant, beautiful strategy you'd created to keep yourself safe. And it did, yeah. as you said, until... Until it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So what did that look like? What did it look like when 
it was no longer working for you. And keeping in mind that this life as it stands is not picture perfect in and out of treatment centers, you know, probably so much restriction. But when it really didn't work, what happened then? When it really didn't work, I mean, I feel like my life in and out of treatments was probably like the most traumatic thing. And Mm -hmm. there was no sense of stability or safety there. And I actually remember there was like a little bit of a catalyst, which was when I was in a position where I was able to gain enough weight to actually start having thoughts or dreams that hadn't occurred to me in many years. It kind of felt like a revelation or like a switch had been turned on. And all this to say that, I, again, I think when we meet our biology and the medical stability of what's occurring for us, we have the possibility then to heal. When you're at, in such a compromised place, you don't always have the faculty to be able to look beyond. So I feel like that turning of the switch happened when I was able to treat my body with enough respect for it to, to shift or be open to shifting. That's where the work began. That's where it meant going underneath the waves, as I like to say, like what's underneath there? Can we get curious about what that's about? Why am I feeling that way? And then also just continually pushing my body towards health to see, well, what if? I remember someone saying to me once that, well, you can always have your disorder back. If you think that it's going to be so much better than, than life on the other side, you can have it back. And that almost felt reassuring. It almost felt like an invitation mm-hmm. or like a permission that sometimes people need to be able to give this thing a shot. Like, let's give recovery a shot, right? And I think another component, if I if I want to layer onto this, was in order for me to begin that healing journey, I also had to be open to believing that I could. Yes. It's so important. Yeah. it's It's just something that we don't talk about enough, I feel like, because... We're hearing so many statistics of how how hard this thing is. And so we're going into this thing saying it's so hard. I just don't know if we're going to fully buy into it. So it also took like, again, like obviously a willingness to consider that there was a possibility. But when the possibility was there, it was like, okay, I'm actually going to believe this. I'm going to believe that I can not only get better, but that I can recover, that I can be a full functioning whole Kate the way that I imagine myself to be. Yeah. You have to be able to create a vision for you. And one of the things I've learned in working with my own clients is that vision looks so different for everybody. When you really start to imagine what you want to create in your life, for some people, it is you know, being surrounded by their family and they're in their Lululemons and they're, you know, with their dog. And some people are creating businesses and, you know, like running empires. And it's so different. But having that vision for yourself just gives you that uh, target to work towards. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code rawbeautytalks at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code rawbeautytalks. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Speaking of vision, ever since I started Raw Beauty Talks, I have been dreaming of having an online shop filled with beautiful products designed to support women in showing up as their best self. I am so excited to announce that the Raw Beauty Co. shop has officially launched over on our website. We created this collection of beautiful self-care products to support you in your journey. Whether you are practicing the art of self-love, figuring out your career path, finding your way back from burnout, mastering mom life, or just wanting to feel your absolute best, we have something for you. My goal is to help you find calm amongst the chaos of life with this carefully curated selection of loose leaf teas, blankets, essential oil blends, impossibly soft sheets, and books to get lost in, plus so much more. Head on over to rawbeauty.co backslash shop for some special launch discount codes or visit us on Instagram at raw.beauty.co. All right, let's get back to the show. I love what you said about step one, reaching a point of biological health and wellness, like having a baseline where your mind is actually able to start functioning. That really resonates with me in regards to, I mean, of course, with my eating disorder that I had, but also more recently with my postpartum anxiety, because in my healing process, I felt so initially like a failure because I couldn't do the meditations that wasn't working for me. I was trying to eat healthy foods and exercise and do all the things, use all the tools that I use with other people, but I couldn't access any of it because my brain wasn't at a healthy enough place. I had to get myself physically to a healthy enough spot that all those tools would start to become activated. And so I love that you mentioned that because 
for anybody who's listening right now who feels like they might be in that really severe place of an eating disorder or anxiety, step one is to talk to a doctor or to find someone who can support you and just getting all of your levels evened out. Absolutely. Then you start layering in the work, as Kate said, then you start diving under the weight. But until you have that baseline, this stuff, these tools that we hear about on social media, the self-care, the, the self-love, that's going to feel really hard and frustrating for you to, to achieve. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I, I just love having this conversation because I think we're living in a culture where it's sometimes we bypass you know, certain, certain elements because we want to get to like right. the, the enlightened state in order for us to trust our bodies. We have to trust our bodies. Like our body wants to trust us too. Okay. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to ensure that it knows that its needs are being met, that it's safe, that it's not in imminent danger. And absolutely. This is the first place to start. We use that analogy again, going below the wave. How can we dive underwater and hold our breath if we can't tread water? right? We have to be willing to be able to have the strength to stay in the water for a bit, right? And so we have to be gentle and compassionate to ourselves, but absolutely move towards that baseline biological needs so that we can get to those places that we've dreamed of and have those visions about. Can you maybe share two or three things that people can do to support themselves in creating that strong foundation and getting to that baseline with your nutrition background. So let's just use food because I know there's so many ways that we can tackle this, but let's talk about how we can support that nutritionally in a body. Yeah. So nutritionally, I like to try and keep it usually as simple as possible if people are trying to get to that baseline need. And so what I say is this, that we have to make sure that as far as energy wise or caloric intake has to meet a certain level, right? That's far more than what we think that our body needs, right? We have these numbers floating around. I'm not even going to go there because we think that that's the no. amount. <laughs> we think that that's the amount that we need to stay alive. And people working towards recovery actually need so much more fuel. I think that working towards a higher level of energy as far as caloric intake and also ensuring adequate amounts of fat. So when we're talking about our brain health, I know for me, one of the things that was so important, I said, I actually don't care what happens to my body anymore. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And so I really focused on what nutritionally I could do to support that happening. So not saying that it can solve everything, but it certainly can play impact. And so eating enough fats or having enough fats in our diet is going to help support our brain, which is made out of 75% fat, 70%, it depends who you talk to, but a large amount of fats in our brain, which means that, you know, all those years that we were on the low fat, no fat diets really compromised our ability to love and fuel our brains. So making sure that we're getting things like beautiful oils, nuts and seeds, avocados, you know, all of those sort of on-trend foods, but like with good reason. I'm glad. I'm glad that they are healthy fats. Yes. So important, right? I remember being terrified of fats and here's like, oh no, I actually have a chance to restore my brain. Like what can, what food can I feed it? Oh, me too. 
Fats was the first thing I cut out when I was 16 years old, right when my brain needed it most in school and as it was growing. And now I'm like, what can I put olive oil on? How do I yeah, get I more almonds in my diet? Yeah. When are we going to have a beautiful like salmon dinner or, yeah. you know, whatever it is that I can do to, to bring in those healthy fats? I'm all about it. So good for your skin and hair and brain and everything. Yeah. So omega-3 fatty acids and you know, I get this question a little bit because people will say, are there vegan omega-3s? And there certainly are, but we can have an animal source. There's actually an easier conversion that your brain can use more readily. And so I'm a fan of using fish oils if you can. And then for moving into like sort of supplement and nutritionally, I also think that targeting our gut health so that our brain has the capacity also to have that impact is really important. We know that there's so much science now to to show and support that what's happening in our gut is affecting our brain. And we may call the gut the second brain, but I actually just think it's another part of the brain because it's actually a bi-directional highway, right? So we do know that what's happening in the brain affects the gut, but we know what's happening in the gut is affecting the brain. So we have to bring that into the conversation as well. Oh, so important. One of our listeners had a question for you on that, which we might mm. as well answer right now while we're on the topic. What is your opinion in regards to maintaining really great gut health on detoxes and probiotics, prebiotics? What should people be listening to in this conversation in gut health in regards to their own health and wellness? Yeah. Okay. So first things first, we have so much information and I always empower people to go in the direction of what feels right for them and what's aligned, do your due diligence, but empower yourself. I think everyone feels like they have the answer and I'm not sure that those are the people that I want to buy into. So I think though we can look at a few things as far as detoxing. I've never put anyone on a detox. I can't go on a detox. I actually had an interesting uh, experience with a one day cleanse and someone gave me these juices and by noon I was eating and I was like, I can't do this. I know my body well enough now that this is just not where it's at. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, can't even. It drives me crazy. <laughs> and here's the thing. There's research now to show that people, let's take something more extreme like anorexia. When there's starvation involved, that means that our bacterial balance is also starved, which means we have a less population of bacteria and that microbiome is what is supporting our immune system, our digestion, and our brain health. So we actually don't want to starve our bacteria. We want to feed our bacteria. Certainly, there's certain issues that come into play. if People have other things such as candida, and we have to be a little more careful. Right. But in general, we are looking to populate or repopulate our microbiome because it has changed dramatically over years. And if we are experiencing symptoms of anxiety or depression, we definitely need to focus on implanting healthy bacteria. There's a few ways that we can do this. We can absolutely do this through professional grade probiotics. So I would say professional because we want to make sure that there's a little bit of science behind this that might be saying, oh, this is actually a much more capable product, right? So we don't want to get a bunch of bacteria that we're taking and it's actually just doing nothing and it's bypassing our intestines and, and we're just pooping it out, right? So a professional grade probiotic is usually refrigerator quality. 
And okay, on top of that, there is more evidence coming out about spore-based probiotics, which actually are not refrigerator, but we can't get a lot of those in Canada. Mm. The spore-based okay. probiotics are definitely something. Eating whole foods is going to feed the bacteria, right? So that's going to be like your prebiotics. So making sure you're eating enough in whole foods, raw, raw vegetables, raw fruits, this is going to be the prebiotics to help feed and, and maintain that bacterial balance. Okay, because you can actually take prebiotics as well, mm -hmm. but obviously the recommendation would just be to eat beautiful whole foods and to be putting that into your body in a natural way. You have some probiotics on your website, is that correct? Yeah, just absolutely. some examples that we can link to? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure there's the link to that in the show notes for everybody. And I have to say on this note, as you're navigating all of this stuff, because there is so much information and so many tips out there, if you find somebody whose voice you trust and who seems aligned with your way of thinking, and you can get a little support through a one-on-one -on -one consultation or a couple of sessions, I highly recommend doing it just mm -hmm. so that you have a little bit of guidance and so that you're not wasting a bunch of money on a whole bunch of different products or trying to figure out your body for months and months. Like This is one of those investments that you can make on yourself that you will carry the information with you for a lifetime. So whether that's Kate or Allie or whoever feels like the right fit for you. I think it's just such an important place to invest some time and energy. Yeah. And the other thing is, again, like, you know, in this wellness industry, we're inundated with all of the things to buy and it isn't about more. It's not about more. We want to be targeted. We want to be specific. And so we don't want to have to leave the shop with, you know, 20 supplements that we're taking, that's not sustainable. And I'm not sure that's healthier either, right? We want to be working towards, remember those visions that you were talking about, like those visions and goals, mm -hmm. like what is going to help support that? And usually it doesn't have to mean, you know, a whole laundry list. Yes. Yeah. Here, here to that. Okay. I want to go back because I kind of left your story hanging, but we got excited and on to another tangent. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to know, you're at this place, you're working towards recovery. And obviously, since that time, you have recovered. I know there were some ups and downs and peaks and valleys in that process and have become this beacon of light for so many women who are on their own journey through this story. I'd love to know, I know there's a lot of people listening right now who don't necessarily have eating disorders, but perhaps have disordered eating or a hard relationship with their body. Were there any tools that you picked up along the way through your personal story, through all the education that you've done that you could share that would speak universally to women in how we start to reconnect to our body and to find some sort of self-acceptance yeah. from this place that we're in right now? I love this. And I love being able to you know, talk about some tangible ways we can, we can start right now. So going back to that person that was, you know, beginning their healing stages of recovery. One of the things that I mentioned at the beginning was like the sense of not feeling safe in my body. So the idea of learning how to create some sense of safety, which took on many layers, but it can really simply start with a few steps. So I remember myself at the beginning being just terrified to eat you know, just to pick up the fork and my fork was, you know, trembling and shaking. And I thought, oh man, if my body is saying this to my brain and my brain is saying this to my body, how can I rework this? Because I figured, well, we've gotten into a cycle here. There's a loop happening. 
And in this moment of clarity, I was like, oh, but there's nothing wrong. There's nothing actually wrong. And so I started, you know, breathing. My mindfulness practice is certainly something that has evolved into, into all of this work. But really starting with creating a sense of safety in our bodies, especially when we're eating, I think is such a huge thing. So when we take breaths, and sometimes, as you mentioned, it can be hard to get right into meditation or, or mindfulness work. Maybe we're not quite there yet, but we can and do know how to breathe. And we can breathe in a specific way that actually is going to reassure our nervous system by stimulating what's called the vagal nerve. And you've probably talked about this, but when, when we breathe in, we want to have a longer and juicier exhale. So maybe doubling it up. So if we count, if we're breathing in for four, we're actually breathing out for six. And we would keep repeating this and we can make the breaths longer and the exhales longer. And there's something about that out breath, that exhale, that allows our nervous system just to have a sense of reassurance that we're not in fight or flight, that we're not in danger, and that we can begin again, even if some of those thoughts are there, right? But bringing that sense of safety into the body, especially around food, is of utmost importance. And I think it's something that we can start in very small ways. So thinking about all the meals you're going to have today, can you take five breaths or maybe even three breaths before you eat? It's not only going to set your digestion up for success and, and comfort, right? We know there's a lot of digestive issues involved, but we're actually reassuring the mind and the soul that, that we're okay too. Oh, such a beautiful tool. I love that. I love that. We use something called a five, five, seven breath. Oh, so awesome. you breathe in for five, you hold for five, and you release for seven. We haven't talked about it on the podcast, so this is amazing. Oh, okay. This is a perfect tool. Totally endorse it. So five, five, seven, breathe in for five, hold for five, and breathe out for seven. Or you could do a three, three, five, wherever your your breath stands. But mm. beautiful tool. Thank you for that one. What else do you have in that little tickle trunk? Yeah. So um, <laughs> the other thing that I have is not forcing body love. So this is an interesting one because people oh, want to love their body. Yes. So I think when we approach the ourselves with this pressure of like, I want to love my body like that person loves their body, not only are we setting ourselves up for expectations that might not be truthful, not because our body isn't worth loving, but because we actually don't accept our body the way it is. And so I love this quote and I, it might be from that Body Beautiful book, but I believe she says that in a society, we're not only told that we're supposed to love the way that we look, but now we have to feel that we love the way that we look. So we've been told all along that we have to look a certain way, but now we're being told we have to feel a certain way. And the truth is that we might not be in love with our body all the time and that's okay. But if we want to get to the point of body love, we have to start with acceptance. So that is really meeting ourselves where we are at. So I think back to that, that person who had dysmorphia in myself, I had to start working with acceptance. And so I think that's a really important entryway into the self love. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love it. What does showing yourself acceptance look like for you? How do you tangibly do that in a moment when you're not necessarily stoked about where you're at? Good question. So I think that's where the element of self-compassion comes in. And it's the idea of imagine what you would say to a friend who had a hard day. So chances are you wouldn't say, oh, things are going to look up or 
you know what, it's just another another day tomorrow. You might say that it might be positive, <laughs> but, but an accepting way would be, wow, dude, that sounds really hard. What do you need? Mm-hmm. And that's the tending to, that's the self-compassion. And I think when we are feeling discomfort over the way that we look or we perceive that we look, we can say, wow, this is really hard for me. This is really uncomfortable. And I'm not sure how I love my body. But it's just about meeting ourselves where we're at instead of sort of that punishing narrative that might come in, which is your X, Y, and Z. We know those names that often come out. So yeah, I would say it's about tending to, that's what acceptance is. Mm, So beautiful. You have really done an incredible job of taking your own journey and allowing it to empower not only you, but so many other people. And I just feel so grateful to have you on here right now to share these beautiful tools. And I know people are going to want to follow along and find you and continue to hear your tips and tricks and advice along the way. You are working as a registered holistic nutritionist now, but you also do counseling within your practice. Tell me a little bit about your practice and what, who you work with and what you love about it. Mm, I I love it so much. So I mostly work with those individuals struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders. In my practice, I get the opportunity to work with such amazing individuals. And I love having these conversations with you, Erin, because I think that some women that have been through these challenges women and men, I should say, are just incredible humans. And it is a privilege to help them get to where their vision and goal is in in this body that they're in. Mm -hmm. So I work by addressing, again, those biological and baseline needs and then working through the narrative. I often say people come in to talk about food and then we end up talking a lot more than food, right? So it is, it might be the impetus, (laughs) but it is a different, it's a different conversation than when, you know, I'm sure you remember too, but I remember, you know, first seeing a dietitian and like hearing her high heels clinking down the stairs. And, oh, I was just terrified to see her. Oh God. Yes. Right. And then um, when I moved into my office here, I just, it just felt like a, an opportunity to creatively address the whole person, the the body, the mind, and the soul. And and that's what I aim to do. And, and that's what I love doing. You have such an artistic side to you. I mean, if you see Kate's home, if you knew some of the past career paths that she was on before this, there's a very artistic part of you. And I feel like when you step into your office, it's this beautiful Zen den, but like twinkle lights and just this calm aura that obviously is so connected to who you are as an individual that it feels so different from that dietitian's office that I once sat in, which was like cold and sterile and 16-year-old Aaron wanted to get out of there as fast as I possibly could. So I love that you've kind of flipped the whole experience on its head a little bit and created something that would feel good to you and that ultimately feels so good to your clients as well. Yeah, it's, it's my goal. Thank you for sharing. And I'll continue to work at it so that that is the experience. Now, recently, you also launched your own group course, and this is a self-directed course. Do you want to just let's give everyone the information. So if anyone, if this is resonating with you and you feel called to start the work, then you know where to find it. Yeah, thank you. So the course is called The Homecoming, and it is an online course geared towards those in recovery of eating disorders or disordered eating. 
I created this because I think it's so important to have access to this kind of support that's really under-resourced. And I was tired of putting people on wait lists and I'm tired of my clients being on wait lists for programs. And certainly it can't solve the world's problems. However, I, I really am passionate and proud of this work, which is about an eight to 12 week program that is, as you mentioned, self-led through videos that address all aspects of, of what I try and target in my sessions, which is those biological baseline needs. So supporting the body, then supporting the mind, rewriting the narratives and those limiting beliefs, looking at the mindfulness aspect, which you know so well and have integrated it so beautifully. It's just a big part of the work. It's an online course hosted by me. And I say it's compassion focused trauma-informed and, and health at every size friendly. Beautiful. I know, obviously, how much work it takes to create a course like this. Kate and I had a conversation prior to her coming on because a few, I was scheduled to be on a couple of podcasts and got emails shortly before going on saying, oh, shoot, we just heard you're launching this program. It's too in line with our program. <laughs> so it's not going to work right now. And I laughed to myself because I totally get it. I get why that happened. But I really, truly believe that there are so many people struggling with this and that the most important thing in recovering and and not even just recovering, but thriving in your body is to find somebody that you jive with yes. that feels like the right fit and that there is so much to go around in regards to helping one another in whatever capacity or facet it would be. So please yeah. head on over, check out Kate's Instagram, follow along. Uh, you know, I encourage you to follow as many people as you can who are sharing the good stuff. And I really believe in everything you're doing, Kate. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, for sharing your wisdom and advice. And I can't wait to continue this journey walking alongside you. Yeah, you're an incredible force. And I'm so grateful to to have you in our community. And yeah, as you said, there's no time for competition. This is, this is about collaboration. This is about coming together and helping individuals. And you're just a pillar for that. And I'm so grateful that you were there. Oh, I love you. All right, beauties, that is it for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single show. If you gathered anything from this episode, which I'm sure you did, and you think that it might resonate with somebody that you know, it would be a huge help if you could send them the link to the episode, send them a little email saying, thinking about you, XO, and pop the link in there for them so that you can help Kate and I spread this message. As we wrap things up, remember, your body is different than any other body out there. So as you listen to these episodes, keep tuning back into yourself to see what truly resonates. Above all else, remember you are worthy, you are beautiful, and you are not alone on this incredible journey called life. Also, don't forget to head on over to the raw shop at rawbeauty.co backslash shop. We've got some hidden discount codes in there for you. So go check it out before they're gone. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, 
pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.